Hi, I'm Abby Krisner from Fist Fight in the Parking Lot, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. You lucky son of a bitch, you. Hi, this is Johnny Winter. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Richard Lee Jackson from Jonathan Jackson, Any Nation, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hello and welcome to episode 306 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. In episode 306, we've got quite a variety for you. We've got joining us uh, a man who uh, stood beside Johnny Winter on guitar for many years, Paul Nelson, who's got a great new uh, band and a project uh, going on, and he's got a great new record out that came out earlier this year. Also, we have joining us Richard Lee Jackson who plays with Jonathan Jackson and E-Nation. is actually Jonathan Jackson's brother. Uh, they're going to be coming in later in May to Stage AE here in Pittsburgh, so we're going to talk to them. What we're going to do, we're first going to talk to Paul Nelson. Paul Nelson played with Johnny Winter uh, for many years uh, at the end of Johnny's career and recorded albums with him. Paul, a, a veteran producer, has worked on many, with many different artists, but he's got a really cool new album out. Uh, that kind of came across uh, my way. It's called Badass Generation. It's available now on Amazon. It came out in February of this year. Uh, Paul's album really kind of takes a 70s approach, I think, to the album. We talk about this in the interview, where it's really cool to listen to front to center. Um, maybe not one song in there that I would say jumps out as, as you know, the, the single, uh, but is an album. It's really cohesive. It flows together nicely. It's got peaks and valleys. So we talk about that, you know, as Paul, is producer and uh, musician, kind of how all that came together. So without further ado, let's hear a track from Badass Generation. This is called Down Home Boogie. I'm going to talk to Paul Nelson.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show Grammy-winning producer, Paul Nelson. How you doing, Paul? What's up, buddy? Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. I um, wanted to talk to you. Uh, just had a chance to listen to Badass Generation, your new CD. Um, you obviously have an extremely long, illustrious career in, in the music industry. A lot to talk about. Um, let's talk about yeah. the, the, the latest CD first. Um, when you're putting together, you know, the group and everything, what was the goal in mind when you were doing the album? Like, what, what sounds were you going for? Okay, well, I, I'm a big fan of uh, the whole uh, retro 70 thing, as, as most new blues and new jam guys are now. You know, I, I love the production of, of bands like, you know, Boston, especially Bad Company and sure. you know, Free. Cool. Uh, Zeppelin, early Aerosmith, early Montrose, early Nugent, early Sabbath, early uh, uh, Allman Brothers, uh, Skinner, Zeppelin, all that stuff. And I, I, I kind of thought, you know, after after Johnny passed, you know, it was time for me to, you know, do my own thing. You know, I'm a musician. I have to continue on. You know, I, I have that legacy with Johnny. But uh, and as he said, you know, Paul, I know you can play a lot of stuff, but I'm glad you played blues with me. Well, now I'm playing a lot of stuff. So I really went for that, that 70s kind of thing, but not to the point where the music that I was doing would be dated and pigeonholed as production of that, but I right. used those as influences. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm actually glad to hear you mention the Allman Brothers, because that was one thing when I was listening to it, I, I felt that there was certainly a taste of that kind of in my ear when I was listening to that. Was that yeah. Yeah. were Dwayne yeah. and Dickie kind of players you you enjoyed as a kid yes ab absolutely um i enjoyed that immensely and you know i i play a lot with <laughs> warren and sonny so that's mm. an influence as well you know just jamming on stage with them and sure. we're all swapping licks but uh yeah i didn't i'm getting a lot of that people saying you know there's a there's a southern kind of thing going on there you know and I did, you know, as a musician, I went to Berkeley. I studied with Steve Vai, Steve Kahn, Mike, uh, Steve Kahn, Mike Stern. But uh, I also learned to wear the right hat for the right situation. That That's how musicians work. That's how I met Johnny in the studio. And part of that was learning country. Part of that was learning southern rock. Part of that was learning jazz and fusion and, and straight-ahead rock and blues. So... If the song starts developing into something that 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 is, that that's why that came out. But the slide part, the minute you play slide, people think blues, southern rock, or maybe Joe Walsh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but but even then, but uh, the, the lyrical content and the way that the songs that you're referring to, and I, I think I know which ones. There's a few of them that that really go towards that jam kind of southern kind of thing, and mm -hmm. and it's because of the slide is because of some of the guitar sounds or or the way that I that I play and that I write. And it was very inspirational. I got some really great musicians. I should say the name of the album is the Paul Nelson Band, uh, Badass Generation. And the, the singer I got uh, was someone that I had worked with producing several years ago, Morton Fredheim. And he had actually, his band had done opening shows for Johnny. And uh, I knew him and he was number two on The Voice in Norway. He's a fantastic singer. So I invited him over to the studio. I have uh, Chris Redden, who plays uh, with Papa Chubby on drums, and many others. Uh, Chris Alexander is on tour now with Samantha Fish. And we all just 
met here at my studio mm -hmm. and I just started writing and the lyrics started pouring out and it was a giant think tank of ideas and music. It was so inspirational and what you hear is, is what came out of that. But I, I thought that we were at a really good time now musically, not that I'm the, the torchbearer for this, but everyone professes to listen to like classic rock. Right. But nobody's, you know, they'll, they'll do some tribute songs or this and that and their stuff, but nobody's really playing or creating it. And so I, I said, you know, maybe this is a, a good time to do a diverse album and mix all these styles together. And uh, people are really digging it. And, I, you know, I'm very proud of it. And, uh, it's doing really well. It's, it's number one hot new release on Amazon. It's being released in Japan on Sony in a couple of days. And uh, I'm getting a lot of support for it, you know, after after leaving Johnny. You know, and uh, I really appreciate it. Fans are really behind me on this. Yeah, I, I have to admit, uh, you know, you, you, you know, the the package comes in the mail, and I, you know, this guy used to play with Johnny Winter. So you have a certain expectation when you put it in. It really was like, well, this isn't really what I expected. And um, exactly, yes. When and I could have went that route. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it probably would have been the easy thing to do. You know, let's make another. You know. Right, because I'm side by side by yeah, I'm side by side by Johnny. I, I I've learned every riff that he played just be you know just from mm -hmm. being with him and and he exposed me to. He took me under his wing. But right, what you're saying is you know uh, I could have went that route and and created the next Johnny Winter thing. But I said it's 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 too easy. It's yeah. it's too expected. And even if I did and I copied Johnny to the to the T, what would be the use? Yeah. People would have just yeah. labeled you as a clone or, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But there are shades of Johnny in there, obviously, Certainly. because of all the years that I played with him. Mm -hmm. but, uh, so with the mindset, yeah. you you wanted to kind of make a, a classic rock sound. Um, when you write songs like this, what, you know, you think about classic rock, and I think everybody kind of thinks of the same sort of five, six years of really, really great classic rock albums of the 70s. Was there a particular things you had to do in the writing process to kind of give you that sound, or how do you approach that to, to develop a classic rock sounding song? Well, you listen to it You're right. constantly before you prepare. You you just you you you're, you're walking around the studio and you have it pumped through the speakers before you know you're you're playing and you're listening and you just enjoy it and and you get the vibe, and then you you start recording in that mindset. You know, the, oh, we want that kind of drum sound. You know, like the rival sons do when they record with the Bonham sound. You, mm -hmm. you know they're getting it from Zeppelin. But you know, I, I want to be a little more skilled at it than just blatant, you know, right. uh, adapting a style from there. So uh, you study it and you you try to you try to simplify and make the song important. I didn't want to... A lot of people now are... <laughs> They're all guitar player singers. So what what's happening is they're writing these songs, and they're they're forcing these guitar lessons on the listeners. It's like mm -hmm. I'm 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 getting so sick of. I mean, I can play, I can shred, I'm studied, you know, studying with Steve Vai, I can play every mode and every scale. But it's like, is it part of the song anymore? Or is it just like, look at me, look at me? Right. And I'm like, people, the average fan just wants to hear a good song and sing along. Yeah, you know, maybe air guitar a little bit. You know, when you listen to Queen, the, those solos are songs in themselves. When you listen to Aerosmith, you can you can hum those, you know, 
how the hell do you hum? <laughs> 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 you know, it's like, so I really, I really concentrated on that. And I really wanted to serve the song and, and, and relate to the singer and the melody. It was very inspiring that, in that way. Not to say that I don't shred. I mean, you can hear solos in classic rock things, and you know the guy can burn. And the, but they're put in skillfully at the right time, not when the mood suits you, not to purposely say, hey, look what I can do. Yeah. So that's what I tried to accomplish here. You know, and, and uh, you know, the, the, they're, they're, it's, it's set up that way. It's also set up in a classic rock kind of album format where every song makes sense into the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, you can download each song individually and <laughs> doesn't bother me. That's great. But if you want to get the full impact of this, you play them all back to back because they were purposely set up. So the instrumentation changes and the mood changes. There's a lot of thing in the production value right? because, you know, I'm a producer as well. So you you and make a great point. Not producing with, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you make a great point with the word changes because that's one thing that I think a lot of bands anymore they might make great eleven songs, but they sign it kind of sound the same. You know, yours has peaks and valleys and, and lefts and right. rights and things like that, that that make it something you want to listen to from start to finish, you know. And 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 I, I appreciate that you noticed that. That's great. Yeah, it's it's one of those albums, you know, I haven't had it long enough to, to do this, but, you know, there's certain albums that I'm sure everyone has where you can start singing the next song before it starts. You know? <laughs> That's, yes, yes. And it's th- pretty funny because when I played it for the record company, for Sony, they listened to the first, oh, this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Then they went down to the second track. Oh, well, no, this, this is my favorite. And this, and I'm sitting there going, oh, this is great. I hope they go through every one and it's all their favorites. And and it, it pretty much worked out that way. And and yes, it brought them through this little roller coaster ride. And every time they listen to it, there's there's ear candy that I put in there to, you know, help the listener along to to keep it, keep, you know, wanting more. Yeah, and, so. and it was interesting in listening to it. I could also I could sense, you know, that you've got the chops. To shred. There's a couple little little tasteful nuggets in there, but you're absolutely yeah. right in your, in your point about sometimes people play for the sake of playing and you lose the person that wants to hear the song. I know I went to see Van Halen at one point and Edward sits down there on the riser and he's going to play a, you know, a 10-minute solo. Yep. A- and the person I was with leaned over and said, we should cut this short and just play another song. You know, because exactly. not, not everyone there is a guitar player. You know, there's, there's, because you know, those days are gone. Those, exactly. Those days are gone. The people appreciate good playing now, you know, like uh, people I've recorded with like Bonamassa and, you know, Vi and all that. They appreciate it, but it's like, ah, just it's a little much. It's a little show offy. Yeah. And sure that people have technical prowess, but you can respect the musician for just what they do within the context of the song and know what they're capable of mm-hmm. without them actually doing it. So almost like uh, watching, uh, uh, like uh, when when directors talk about movies, you know, horror films, well, if I don't show all the blood and the gore and just do it artistically, you're still going to be terrified. Yeah. You know, but I'm not throwing it right at you, like right in your face. So, and there's a lot, you know, uh, I'm glad that uh, there's, uh, I'm glad that I was able to do it. Yeah. And I hope that other players will start doing it because the, the songs are what have the lasting value. And then, you know, it's it's not all me, me, me. You know, you're working yeah. with other people. And that's that's the thing. But, you know, so that's that's I'm glad you, you you noticed that. But that was that was a throwback from from studying and analyzing the, those what was done back then. That's part of it. Right. Along with the production and the guitar sounds and, the you know, the that kind of thing. So 
So um, are you planning on taking this out on the road? Is that kind of the next step? Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, the, uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask what the tour plans look like for the for the year, for the summer. and. We have a tour set up starting in May, and like I said, the album come, hasn't even come out in Japan. It comes out in a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny's movie, uh, Down and Dirty, that I executive produced, come, uh, came out in the U.S. Uh, like a week ago, and it's coming out over there. So the minute that hits over there, we, we could very well just shoot over there. So that's what we're working on. But in the meantime, you know, I've been doing tons of producing and playing and other projects and uh, working on a Junior Wells product. Uh, project uh, very similar to Step Back with a lot of notables on there. And, um, just finished uh, producing Joe Lewis Walker's record. Uh, doing a lot of guest spots. I just got back from Jamaica with Warren and Sonny and Government Mule. Mm-hmm. Playing with Mike Vito, Pop and Shadow, all kinds of stuff. But this is the touring is scheduled for around around May, and there's already some dates on the book. So. We're working on it right now. Awesome. Now, you you also participated in the uh, Sidemen uh, film, is that correct? Yes, and I actually I, I they they filmed my interview portion like several years ago, and I had completely forgotten mm. or was wondering when's this coming out, and mm-hmm. it, it just came out of nowhere. And yeah, it it just uh, showcased itself by Southwest, I guess, last week. Right. And it's it's getting great reviews. You know, it's all the premises. It's uh, you know, Hubert, who I knew, and Pine Top, uh, you know, they were the sidemen to the greats, and then they interviewed all the other sidemen to current greats. Right. So working with Johnny, it was, you know, a natural thing that, that they would do that, and uh, it's one hell of a movie, film, yeah, documentary. Yeah, I know. I spoke with uh, Lance Lopez on that not that long ago, and he was talking about that. It sounded really fascinating, and unfortunately, we're not nowhere near Austin to get a chance to see it yet, but... Looking forward to right. that. Um, right, can, yeah. Can you kind of take us back? How did you first get involved with Johnny Winter? When did that come about? Well, I was doing session work, doing session work at the Carriage House Studios on the East Coast here, which is where we recorded, and I got the, Johnny and I both got Grammys for a step back. We did uh, Roots there. Um, I did I'm a Blues Man when I first met him. That was on EMI or whatever. And, uh, uh, I was in the studio performing, right? actually recording. Mm-hmm. And he heard me play and he said he liked my stuff. I was, and, uh, you know, would I be interested in writing songs for his new record that he was in there doing the demos for? So I submitted a song. He liked that. And he says, you got a couple more. I gave two more. And he said, well, there's some other playing on there. You want to play on those songs on my album? I'm like, sure. He said, well, since you're on that, you want to play on a whole record? I'm like, sure. He goes, well, since you're on the album, you want to go on tour? And it just developed into this friendship, musician thing, and then a musician thing. And then eventually, you know, I I saw that, you know, things weren't right. Right. And I kind of stepped in and risked everything to to write them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had established this trust and, like I said, the friendship. And uh, he had one hell of a comeback. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great yeah. to see the regard fans had for him, you know, right to the yeah. very end. This, this movie, yeah, this movie really shows what he and I did together. Yeah, I know we were we were blessed enough to have him on the show. It's probably been almost five or six years ago. Johnny joined us um, when you were doing a show right. in Pittsburgh, um, right? And it was great to have a chance to speak with him then. Um, yeah. Do you see yourself getting um, the tour itself? Do you have a kind of extensive U.S. dates, or are you kind of doing um, kind of festival type stuff? 
Uh, a little of both. Okay. A little of both. I, I don't know what we're in store for in Japan because I know the movie was going to be shown in theaters. So uh, I have to see. Sony has to let me know, you know, what what route to take, mm-hmm. and uh, you know how big how good the album's doing over there. So I I won't know yet, but it's it's coming soon, and it's doing really well here. So like I said, we've already booked uh, a series of dates. Those will be announced soon. Well, that'll be awesome then. Well, hopefully you'll find your way towards the you know the Pennsylvania area, and we can get a good chance to get well, there. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And if not, so I'll be performing with some other artist, you know, as a guest or part of you know. That's how that's how the music scene is now. Too. I really like the scene now. Everybody shares. It's yeah. Very good. It's not like before, you know. Everybody participates. It's really good. Yeah, I don't know if it's the economics of, of the way the music industry is is changed, and I'm sure that has something to do with it. But it, you're, you're right, it does. It seems like every other artist we talk to has performed with Warren in the last few months. That just yeah. seems to be. Oh, absolutely. Well, Warren is the torchbearer for all that. Yeah. And and that, that that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because the way Warren's shows go, where he one minute is playing a tribute to, to ACDC, then two minutes later to Freddie King, then two minutes later to the Allman Brothers, and his, then his own material, and then he's got John Schofield, he's playing jazz fusion, and yeah. He's playing an ode to uh, Tommy Bolin and uh, Jeff Beck. He's he's opening up his listeners to a larger variety of styles. Yeah. So in doing that, now artists are able to play more diverse stuff on one album than having the pigeonhole an artist and they're just playing this and this kind of instrumentation if you're going to be pl- playing blues and just play this if you're going to be playing rock and just... So the the music scene as a whole now, as far as the diversity, is beautiful. Yeah, people people expect more on a record. Yeah, you're absolutely more. right. So yeah. that's what I tried to give them. Well, awesome. Well, Paul, I want to thank you so much. It's been a pleasure kind of picking your brain, uh, you know, kind of like oh, an encyclopedia of, of rock music <laughs> over the last twenty years. Um, and it, it's been a pleasure having you. So hopefully, we'll see you out this way soon. Ah, anytime and and again, uh, at the oh, and the badass generation came about. I'll I'll tell you really quickly how the title came about because everybody today describes everything as being badass. Mm-hmm. That's a badass car. That's a badass song. That's a badass guitar. And in the studio, we were in the studio, and and it, that word kept on coming up. And I go, what is this? Some kind of badass generation? <laughs> and the light bulb went off, and that's how I titled it. So. Again, thank you, and I, I'm glad that you enjoyed the music. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Paul. You take care. Right, All right, a big thank, thank you, you, Paul Nelson. Yeah, you can check out thepaulnelsonband.com, or if you go to ironcityrocks.com, we'll have a link for that. The album Badass Generation is available now. Highly worth a listen, so check that out. Um, or if you want to check it out on Spotify or something like that, see if you like it, get the album. Uh, really, really cool stuff if you're into that uh, kind of music. I'm going to turn our attention now to a slightly different kind of band, uh, a band more probably reminiscent of the uh, early 90s sort of alt-rock. Uh, the band is Jonathan Jackson and E-Nation. We're going to talk to Richard Lee Jackson, who is Jonathan's brother and the drummer of the band. Uh, Jonathan Jackson, obviously a uh, actor, has been on um, a couple of soap operas, uh, Nashville, I know, for example. Uh, Richard Lee Jackson, also an actor. Uh, he was on um, Saved by the Bell. Um, the new class, uh, not a watcher of the show, but also was on Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine, did a stint on Ally McBeal. So an accomplished actor, uh, but also a very uh, talented drummer, 
Uh, if you go to their website, jonathanjackson.com, you can find information about E-Nation. They've got a great new EP that has just been released called Blame Shifter. Uh, and they're going to be coming in and doing a show at Stage AE, and actually a club show. So a real intimate uh, venue on May 21st. Uh, you can catch them with a Beat Root Revival at, clubs, at uh, the club at Stage AE. So without further ado, let's talk to Richard Lee Jackson. Sure. 
great pleasure. Welcome to the show, Richard Lee Jackson of the band Jonathan Jackson and E Nation. How you doing, Richard? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We had a chance to enjoy uh, your new EP, which is coming out, if, if my head is correct, later on this week, Blame Shifter. Um, draw from a lot of different musical influences, I feel, when I listen to it. Um, uh, some maybe almost 80s rock with some U2 and some things like that. And then there's certainly some dabbling of country in that. Is is that kind of, in your head, where your influences came from? Well, you know, um, there are a few different... Uh, you know, kind of influences that, that come across. So I, I think that you're right on that. Um, uh, bands like U2 um, and, um, you know, some, some more alternative bands like Pearl Jam, um, REM, you know, we, we love them a lot. And we're mm-hmm. listening to them quite a bit. Um, and, and then our, our, our dad um, grew up listening to country music and, and gospel music and um, some seventies rock as well. So, you know, you kind of have the, and then when we moved to Nashville, there's a lot of roots music here, you know, Johnny sure. Cash and Elvis and, and Bob Dylan. And, and so you kind of take those worlds and you blend them all together and, and shake it up. And I think that's, that's kind of something that, that came out. It just kind of naturally comes out with, with the kind of music that you listen to. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing I noticed even listening to um, like the version of Unchained Melody, I could kind of feel... The original, it certainly had uh, sounded like some slide guitar or dobro or something on there. But then I could mm-hmm. still feel kind of a little or lesser known version that Bono had done of the song in that rendition. You're it. right on that. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. This, this is really cool. Uh, TV was a huge influence on us, um, as it was for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of blew our minds in terms of of what it meant to be. Um, you know, putting on a show and, and, and he had so many levels and, and drew from so many inspirations, um, uh, you know, of rock legends, uh, in the past. And I think Elvis was certainly one of them that he was sort of tapping into in, in some of that stage of his performing yeah. Bono's. Um, and so, yeah, that, that version was definitely in the back of our mind somewhere. And I think that Jonathan drew from that as well as, um, the Elvis version and the original, it's just, uh, so yeah, it's very keen of you to to pick up on that. Yeah, I was I was also uh, interesting. You mentioned that Zoo, the the whole Zoo TV Zuropa, you know, um, mm-hmm. era of U two was kind of where I fell, you know, both feet first into U two. Prior to that, they were so popular that I was almost turned off yeah. by it. Um, yeah. But that that kind of persona that Bono built with the fly and the and the you know sort of Elvisy sixty seven comeback special sort of suit. Right, made, made quite an impression, and I had gotten all the CD singles, so I knew that you know the version of Unchained Melody, and I could kind of hear that coming through there. Um, you guys, uh, you and your brother Jonathan, obviously uh, have been in the world of acting for quite a while. But was 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 there which kind of came first, the you know, chicken or the egg? Was was acting something <laughs> that allowed you to be, to become musicians, or, or was music the passion, and, and acting was kind of a vehicle that got you there? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, we started playing music before we were ever into acting. I started playing drums when I was, um, I think, in first grade. So I was probably seven or eight or something Mm -hmm. like that. And Jonathan started playing guitar when he was around the same age. So that actually came first. Our dad was a a country music artist, um, and we performed in concerts around our hometown with him quite a bit. And so the love of music uh, was always kind of around us. And um, as we got a little bit older in our early 
teenage years, we became actors and um, we started to realize that, that storytelling is really what kind of got us excited. And, mm-hmm. and there are different ways to do that. And, and music is um, certainly one that, that, you know, stokes our fire. Sure. Yeah. You, you notice that a lot of, you know, musicians that did kind of into that world and how many musicians also end up in, um, you know, with painting and, and poetry and things like that. So I think, you know, you've got that kind of creative side of the brain, you know, it's right. just different avenues to let that out. Um, from a drumming yeah. standpoint, um, were there any particular drummers growing up? You're, you're a little bit younger than I am. Um, were there particular drummers that you were kind of fond of as, as a young musician? Well, certainly Larry Mullen Jr. from U2 was huge. Um, and, and the whole ethos of U2 is great um, because, you know, they, they, they were not professional musicians. You know, they grew up um, as really just kind of a garage band, a street band. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, um, if anyone can do it, we can do it. And so that was kind of inspiring um, for us because, you know, we've never – you know, gone to the big schools of music and, you know, learn, we're not classically trained or anything like that. We're just right. musicians and, and we love it. And so, um, not only his sound and I, you know, the kind of, uh, emotion that he puts in his, in his rhythms and the creativity, but also the kind of ethos of you too was, was big for me. And, and then, you know, beyond that, um, you know, lots of different bands influenced, uh, my drumming. Um, there was a really good, a British band called Delirious that was out there that I listened to mm-hmm. growing up quite a bit. They were great. Um, I would I would jam along to Collective Soul and Pearl Jam and some Foo Fighters, um, Coldplay. Um, so you know a lot a lot of different a lot of different artists. Um, there's even like a, a heavier band called Blindside that I listened to and picked up on some of that stuff as well mm-hmm. now do you sing as well in, in the band or are you uh i do yeah yeah uh both myself and our bass player dan we sing we sing backup in concerts um for the most part on the records it's jonathan mm-hmm. once in a while we'll, we'll jump in there but but yeah we do we do some and, of that live and live do you perform as a trio do you, or do you have we other do. musicians yeah okay yeah so i figured yeah, we're a three piece you almost have to sing if you're a trio there's really no yeah no room yeah, exactly for, now, um, playing as a trio, I mean, that's always something that, that kind of I find interesting, especially from, you know, a, a drummer and a bass player, because there's almost more room to fill. Do you do you have to kind of take that into consideration in your playing style? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, over the years, we've we've had different people play with us and different, you know, amounts of people on stage. But um, the core of it has always been the three of us. And as we've been a, a three-piece for several years now what we found was um it, it really does make every single piece of it critical mm-hmm. and it actually makes the sound bigger in some ways um when it is just the three of us um because there is so much space and right. so you really have to rely on each other and and um you know make sure that everything uh every piece of it is really um together and, and solid so it's a it's a a fun challenge, but I think that it's it's created a a more kind of true sound to who we are as a band doing it that yeah. way. Yeah, I always love that about a trio. You know, the you know the drummer doesn't necessarily you know sometimes in a four piece band or you know if you had a fifth piece, it can get kind of muddy. 
you know, if you start doing too right. much with your cymbals or the bass players try, trying to do fills that are a little too complicated, it can almost right. take away from what the user hears, but in, or the listener, I should say. But in a in a trio, sometimes you know you love being able to kind of hear through the guitar, if that makes sense. Right. You know, to what what you guys are doing now live. Um, I would, are you doing most of the new EP live? Is that the intent? Yeah, yeah. We uh, I think we play. I think five out of the six songs. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, and we you know we've been together for a while. So um, you know our our last record was. Radio Cinematics, so we have several songs from that. But we also do some covers in our live set as well, um, j- which is really fun for us. I think, you know, our fans dig it as well. But it gives us a chance to kind of um, kind of have some fun with music that inspires us. So we're sure. playing, you know, Pearl Jam and U2 and, and uh, R.E.M. and, um, you know, all kinds of different covers in, of the bands that we love. Now, um, one thing that always kind of, curious about with with actors in the world of, of music um is i mean as a, as a young musician did you play live a lot is or is this kind of you know your first you know in, in this band was this kind of your first foray into playing live and for larger audiences than maybe just like a high school dance or something like that and, and what is that experience like versus working for a camera right right uh no actually you know for us we've um, been playing um, live gigs since we were young teenagers. We we started in Los Angeles playing on the Sunset Strip. So, um, you know, we were playing uh, the Whiskey Go-Go and, and the Viper Room mm-hmm. and the Roxy and, and uh, places like that. You know, we've been playing those since we were, uh, before we could, you know, drink the beer they were offering us. Right. <laughs> um, so we were, um, so yeah, we've always done that. I mean, yes, the crowds have, have uh gotten bigger uh in some respects and, and that's always fun as a band mm-hmm. um but uh it's it's not something new it feels very natural for us to right. get on the road and 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 play in front of uh different different crowds right so you you didn't take the path of just you know had a hit tv show let's go make a record and go out there no. and fly for the first time you had a very no organic... no we've never really we've never really looked at our music like that mm-hmm. um you know, like I said, music was sort of our first artistic endeavor, and um, uh, you know, certainly the the fame of of being in the entertainment industry kind of uh, overshadowed that. But in mm-hmm. in terms of our own creativity and, and inspiration, and being an independent band since you know our first, I think our first independent record was out in 2004. So we've had um, music being made and and tours happening and playing crappy shows and, and good shows just like uh, just like any other band. Richard, if I, if I may pick your brain, because you, you mentioned some clubs and we get a lot of, of bands that were very big in the 80s, you know, um, yeah. on this show, but you mentioned a lot of the exact same clubs, but you're coming at it mm-hmm. probably 10 years later. Can I ask you, what were the, <laughs> what were the vibes in some of those, you know, the whiskey and places like that? This would have been, I'm guessing, in the early 90s at this point? Yeah, probably mid mid to late nineties for us. Um I mean, yeah, the vibe the vibe there was was still electric. Um, you can kind of sense the history of it. You know, it probably is different than than what it was like when it was, you know, the scene of sure. you know, the seventies or eighties. 
Um, but I mean, in terms of an artist, in terms of how it made us feel, uh, I mean, we could really still feel the, just the presence of all those great performers Mm -hmm. in in the room and, um, the sound systems were great, you know, um, it, it was, it was a, it was a fantastic experience for us. Had the audiences, you know, obviously you think of the, that era, you think of, you know, the grunge and, and R.E.M. and the smithereens and things like that. Had had that mm-hmm. become what L.A. was into live at that point? You know, we think of Seattle, obviously, in that probably yeah. the same time period as the mecca of where you wanted to be. Was L.A. kind of mirroring that same? Well, I mean, they have a lot, they have a lot of different styles and genres of music running through those, those venues. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, when we were playing back in the early, the late '90s, early 2000s, um, I mean, you know, rock was sort of starting to die out a little bit more, and yeah, it was absolutely. kind of a, a lot of the the stuff that was going on was was pop. I mean, you had some, you know, some rock stuff, and if not alternative rock necessarily, but you know, you had Linkin Park, really, really popular, and yeah. P.O.D. back then. Um, but in terms of the mainstream stuff, a lot of it was like just more pop influenced. Um, so I wouldn't say there was a huge alt rock scene um, like there was in Seattle right. uh, in the early nineties. I think people were sort of, it was kind of uh, rotating away from that for some reason. Sure. Well, thank you for letting me pick your brain on that. It was always kind of a curiosity of mine as you were rattling off those clubs. I'm like, this is kind of an interesting Angle. Yeah. Um, you guys are going to be coming into a fantastic venue in Pittsburgh on May 21st. You're doing a show at Stage AE. Um, yeah. Set-wise, you guys do, how long, roughly, of a set would you anticipate? It's usually between 75 and 90 minutes. Okay. So you're doing a, a full-on headline show, then. That's great. Yep, yep. All right. And they, um, are, am I correct you guys are doing kind of VIP packages for those who want to you know, shake a hand or get an autograph? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we offer that through our website. Uh, it'll it'll happen before the concert, um, uh, one or two hours before the concert, and that's a really, really fun time for us to be able to have some quality time with our fans. Awesome. Well, again, the new album, Blame Shifter, comes out on the 13th of May, and you guys are here, you know, what, eight days later to, to play the music for us in Pittsburgh. So, Richard, I want to thank you for your time, man. Hey, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. A giant thank you to Richard Lee Jackson and also Paul Nelson, all of our guests on the show this time. You can find more information about them on our website at ironcityrocks.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube are all forward slash ironcityrocks. And we'd love to hear from each and every one of you, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Tell us what you love about the show, what you hate about the show, or any questions you may have about the show. Um, we, We have a habit of answering every single email uh, positive or negative so love to hear from you and until next time we want to thank you for listening to the show take care